Chapter 4, Part 1, from the sermon series, The Gospel of John, spoken by Pastor Kimberly Wright. Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord. I come from one of those talkback churches. Um, <clears throat> so it's fine for the kids to be here. It's fine for you all to make all the noise you want to make this morning. I am grateful. Are you all like a 30-minute church? Are you a... You're like a 30-minute church. Okay, there we go. All right, I, don't, I know I've learned how to do things decently <clears throat> and in order. Um, just a lot of scripture for 30 minutes, though, y'all, I have to tell you. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get through it, though. Let me, let me first say it is an honor to be here at Metro this morning. It's always an honor to be anywhere where Pastor Peter is. I give him extraordinary um, respect and honor as um, my friend and as your pastor. And um, there are so many familiar faces here for me now. I feel like I'm home. So I'm grateful to be here. Um, and I'm grateful, what an honor to kick off Women's History Month. And I think this is a perfect scripture. So if there's, if there's any scripture in the Bible that kind of um, has drawn me, right, to know that Jesus loves me personally, this scripture about the woman who Jesus meets at the well reminds me so much of how I met the Lord. Um, and so I met the Lord when I was an absolute mess. I was 15, 16 years old. I was away at a New England boarding school, a prep school. And um, even though I was away and academically I was doing really well, uh, my life was an absolute like disaster away from that. I was promiscuous teenager, I was on drugs, I sold drugs, did drugs, hung out way too much, did way, like anything you could think you do not want your children to do, I was doing that. I came home one weekend and my one break and my sister said, hey, meet me at this church. And um, I was like, meet my sister? My sister doesn't even go to church, why would I meet her at a church? And so I went to the church. I, they didn't let me in because I had shorts on, and it's one of those churches where you have to wear the long skirts. It's Pentecostal, apostolic. The, the, of Pentecostal church is like the most conservative, like conservative of conservative. The doily on your head, the skirt to the bottom, all of that. Um, no makeup, no jewelry. So um, I couldn't go in then. I went back at night. On my way to church, I had a car accident. And... Um, my back was hurt and I sat through service and my back just started tightening up. And my sister, when it was over, she said, go down front and let them pray for you. I never had seen the Holy Spirit move on a person at all. And I went down front and all I remember is like seeing the front and then like an outer body experience. I saw myself like running through the church and um, like I fell out. And I got up and I was not the same person. And it doesn't mean I didn't behave the same because I went back to doing a lot of the same things that I was doing, but I did know that God met me in that place. I knew, because I had no nothing before that, I knew that God met me in the place. And I knew that I needed to consider a life with God that would be completely different than the life that I had known for the first 15 or 16 years of my life. So it took me another three years to get back to the Lord, but, um, but I did. I, I, I practiced a lot of the disciplines, but my life didn't, add, it didn't match up. That takes a while sometimes. Um, and so let me, let me just talk to you about what happens here with this 
Samaritan woman. So the first three verses of this scripture, I don't want to just skip over them, but I'm not going to um, give too much time and attention. It talks about how um, the Pharisees, we know who they are, um, had heard something, and then they thought that one person, that Jesus was baptizing more people than John the Baptist. They weren't necessarily right. It says, like, um, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who, right, like, it's like church drama, right? So he's like, I got to get away from there. Sometimes you just got to get away from the church drama, right? You just petty. It's petty. This was petty. And Jesus was like, let's go. Let's pack it up. This is not a good, healthy place for us. Be grateful that you are in a good and healthy place uh, where you don't have to pack up and just go away. And then it says, and now he had to go through Samaria. And so now we talk about this place. Um, Samaritans were half Assyrian and half Jewish. Um, this place that they went through was hot and dry, says that they got there when he, when, when Jesus got there, he got there without the disciples. Jesus went there by himself and all by himself. He meets a woman, a Samaritan woman who is all by herself. So Jews at the time really hated Samaritans. Um, they didn't go through Samaria. It was like, be like going through the hood. If you're not from the hood, you don't usually go through the hood because all the things that you presuppose about the people in the hood, most of what you think is probably not true. Like 99% of it is not true, but you know, you just avoid it at all costs just in case. And so, um, and so he goes because Jesus knows. He doesn't think and he doesn't have to presuppose he is an all-knowing God. So he goes where he knows. And the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof and everything that's in it. So Samaria belongs to him too <laughs> and the people there. Um, so Jesus is with this woman who is there. And it's high noon and no one else is around. And so we always um, say that 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 the reason she's alone at this time, it's not a choice that women would make, most women would make at this time. Going to the well, right, was, was uh, usually done early or late. It was either before the sun came up or after the sun went down. He met her there at noon, and that is when the sun is highest. When I used to play tennis, um, nobody wanted 12 o'clock court time. Right? No one wants to play tennis at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. It is too hot. You want early morning. You want late afternoon. You do not want noon. They meet her there. He meets her there at noon, and she is by herself, probably avoiding. Some things in Scripture we assume, right? Um, we, we assume these things, um, that, that she probably was trying to avoid the other women. Women traveled together because going to fetch water was also um, a social endeavor, right? That we meet, we talk, we catch up, we work together, we laugh together, we encourage each other, we support one another, we uh, figure out like who's, who needs what, and, and we, we look out for one another. She didn't have that, on, at least on this day, she didn't have that. And as the story unfolds, we, we guess why that might have been. So um, Samaritans were a rejected people when it came to the Jews. They were, um, uh, they were people who they didn't want anything to do with because they were half Jewish and half um, Syrian. 
uh, they were considered half-breeds. Now, I personally know what that's like because I grew up being half-black and half-white. <laughs> and I grew up not like today where this is sexy. Um, I grew up in a time where this is not cute, where I was a mutt and a zebra and a whole bunch of other not-so-nice words that I won't say in front of your children today. Um, but, you know, it wasn't like I didn't fit in anywhere. I was too black to be white, too white to be black. My cultural things just interfered with me fitting in in any one particular place. Um, and so they were those people. Um, uh, here we see that Jesus is not with the disciples um, the disciples go to, we find out later, they went to get some food. Um, they separated from Jesus. And I just want you to know that at any point, if you ever separate from Jesus because you are doing what I think they were doing, which is following the culture, like we don't really want to go there either, so we'll go get the food, uh, we'll, we'll go around the way, um, or, or leaning into fear, right, rather than our faith, afraid of what might happen, so we'll stick together and we'll go another way. We'll separate from Jesus or um, just the, tr the traditions that we give into sometimes. Um, thinking that you know what's best and not being willing to change, right? So we've never done it before, right? I, I love when Jacob says that I've, I've never gone this way before, right? I, I've, I, I haven't done it before. We haven't done it before. I'm not going to start today. Even with Jesus, I'm not going to change today just because Jesus said to, or just because Jesus, that's the way he wants things done, right? A lot of us refuse to change certain things, certain behaviors, certain ideas, certain cultural norms, be, uh, in spite of the fact that it's an offense to God. Right, we will hold on to those things until the bitter end. Um, so they miss this moment, the beginning of this, where Jesus meets this woman. Um, we see here that in verse six it says that Jesus uh, was tired as he was from the journey, so he sat down by the well. This shows Jesus's humanity. We always say that Jesus is one hundred percent human and 100% God. And we see that here, we see his humanity because it says he sat down, right, by the well because he was tired. He was tired and he asked for some water later. He says, I thirst. He is tired and thirsty. So we see the humanity of God, the incarnation, right, that God left the comfort of heaven and put on the garment of flesh and came to earth to be with us. He wanted, he went there to be with her. So um, it's just the two of them at this well, it, uh, and, and, and we assume that this woman that he meets is an outcast because ethnicity is very important. And he's, let, let me say a couple other things. He is a Jewish, she is a Samaritan, man, she's a woman, right? So um, one of the things that Jewish people believed about Samaritan women was that they were always dirty, right? And no clean thing could touch a dirty thing without becoming dirty, a clean thing cannot touch a dirty thing because a dirty thing would make a clean thing dirty. But we know that God, when he is the clean thing that touches me, the unclean thing, God cleans me up. God was never worried about touching me and getting dirty like other people were worried. Right? I know that when God touched me, he cleaned me up. 
right? And he wasn't afraid to do that. He met me in my circumstances, and he cleaned me right up. And so they were afraid. People are afraid. Oh, if I go there, that will rub, up, rub off on me. And so we can't be around an unclean woman, and a man can't be around a woman, and a man can't speak to a woman in public, and definitely not a Jewish man. Like, there are so many problems here. There are so many social issues right here that he is confronting. That he's confronting. Thank God for the word. Thank God that we have this word because it is how we know the value that Jesus has. Because if we leave it to man, right, women still would not be valued. But as a woman, I can look at scripture and I can see that Jesus goes out of his way for women all the time. I can see that he loves me. I can see that he honors me. I can see that he respects me. I can see that he values me. I can see that he wants to transform me, change me, and use me. I came from a church where I thought to ever do what I'm doing at this moment was sin. He had to change a lot of things about me. He had to change religious things about me because I got religion before I got relationship. Thank goodness for the Holy Spirit. Uh, so she came to draw water, and he asked her for a drink. He spoke to this Samaritan woman and asked her to serve him. He was willing to touch something that she had touched. He was willing to have her serve him, to have some relationship, to speak. He acknowledged her presence. He saw that, that she could do something for him. He didn't need her. He wanted her. God doesn't need our service. There's always a ram in the bush, but he desires each and every one of us to serve him. It is an honor and a privilege to serve the Lord. So I imagine at this moment, I just want you to know that in my sanctified imagination, I think she rolled her eyes. <laughs> I think that's what happened here. I think that she was like, Ex like, excuse me? Why are you talking to me? Why are you bothering me? I think in her mind, even because it's not written, but she must have been like another one. Another one. Another Jewish person. Another man. Another man who wants something from me. Another one. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Um, so we know that in Christ, there is nothing accidental and there is nothing coincidental. This moment may have been an annoyance to her. But it is an ordained moment, a divine moment, a predestined moment, and a moment that God planned. I want you to know that the moment that you met Christ, that was not an accident. That was the moment that he tapped on the door to your heart, that was not a coincidence. The, the day that someone invited you to church and God was speaking to you, that was not happenstance. No, no, no. God planned that. God ordained that. 
God knew that moment was going to happen before he laid the foundations of the earth, before he knitted you together in your mother's womb. He knew that you would be called, that you would be chosen. It was his intention. It was his design. It was his choreography. This is how Jesus allows her to encounter him. And we all have our own story of our encounter with Christ. Um, she would not have met him in a temple. She would not have met him through her family. She would not have met him through community, through friends. And I don't think she would have met him because of the men that she was with. Right? So she needed to meet him on her own. Um, this is the part where y'all got to come closer and pay closer attention. Um, he asked her for water and she's a bit taken aback, but this is the moment I think she starts trying to size him up. So she, she, she says to him, like, are you, are you talking to me? Like you, you want something from me. You're going to ask me to do something for you. Um, and then he tells her, if only you knew, if only you knew, you know, when we first met God, like we had no idea we'd be here later. Like if only we knew who we were even meeting in the beginning, but you can't know in the beginning because this takes time. This, this takes time at 15. I didn't know what I know today at 55, right? This takes time and it takes, um, living life and doing life with Jesus. And it takes constant, repeated encounters with him. But he says, if only you knew, which means that he knows that she has no idea. He knows that she has no idea. If only you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you to drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you. Jesus is saying, look, chick, you got it twisted. I'm asking you for water and you should see it as an honor. I'm asking you to serve me and you don't even know what I'm asking you to do. You have no idea what I'm asking you to do because if you did, if you had any idea what was actually going on in this moment, you ever have a moment with Jesus and you think you're the important person? And really, Jesus is trying to show himself to you. You make you big and you make him small. And he's saying, no, 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 no. Magnify me in this moment. See me for who I am at this time in your life. It's not all about you. It's about what I'm doing to you, for you, through you, with you. It's about me. If you only knew that this problem, challenge, situation that you are dealing with right now is not even about that. It's not about the well. It's not about the water. It's not about who you think you are. It's not about your past. It's not about how people have treated you. It's not about how the world sees you. This is about us. This is about how much I love you. If only you knew. If you had a clue, if you had an idea who I was and what I want to do with you, you would want to serve me. 
you would want to serve me. You'd be asking me, can I get you a drink? Can I get you a drink? Can I do anything for you? He asked her for water. Let me also say that Jesus is a gentleman. He doesn't go where he's not invited. And he doesn't take anything that we don't want to give him. Right? In terms of relationship, he's a gentleman. He asks, and we have to decide to participate. Jesus does not strong arm us. We have free will. So when she's taken aback, she doesn't know what she has encountered here. She's at the well, and she comes with an empty vessel and an empty soul, and Jesus meets her in that place. Um, and, and I think about all the other women who he has met, how he first, right, how he's honored other women in meeting them. First of all, he was deposited in a woman. When, when John starts out, right, by saying the word was God. The word was put in a woman. The woman, the woman carried the word. And then the woman delivered the word. What an honor. Don't you ever let anybody tell you that you can't carry and deliver the word of God. Yes, you can. We do symbolism with everything else in the Bible except with that. No, no, no. She carried and she delivered. The word was deposited in a woman. This woman who lost her husband and then her son, remember that woman? And he was being carried in a coffin, and Jesus went and resurrected him, gave him back. Mary and Martha, they got to see the, the, the grave clothes fall off of their brother. And the woman who was caught in adultery, Jesus protects her, deals with her accusers, and encourages her to change, to sin no more. The woman with the issue of blood, Jesus heals her, gives her some of his power. His power went out of him and into her. And then at the tomb, from the womb to the tomb, Jesus is loving women. At the tomb when they go, the first women who see him in a resurrected state, who he says, go tell somebody I got up. Go tell them. He thinks that we're worthy to be seen by him, to see him and to know him, and even to represent him, to carry his love and his loving message to other people. So she was thirsty. Physically, we know she was thirsty. We believe emotionally that she was thirsty. She, she was physically thirsty looking for water in the well. She was emotionally thirsty looking for water from all these men. And she was spiritually thirsty. She was waiting for the Messiah to come. She tells him that later. This is where we see the beginning of her transformation. And I just want to share with you through her what transformation looks like for us sometimes. So here, 
Um, we know that water is about, right? Water is so necessary. He says he is living water. Water is so necessary for all of us. You didn't have to live in antiquity to understand this, but we know that water is important for us to drink. It's important for us to have plants and vegetation. It's important for our livestock to live. It doesn't matter if you are rich or poor, if you are educated, ignorant. It doesn't matter if you're sick. Like, it doesn't matter who you are. You need water. We all need water, and it doesn't matter where you live. We all need water. Jesus understands that we all need him. He created us to need him. He made us 70% water. We, can do without, uh, we, we cannot do without air, first of all, and the second thing we cannot do without is water. So she is thirsty and he is living water that she has been longing for. And what well have we all been drawing from? I think a lot of times what he tells her, right, when he talks to her about these husbands, the five husbands she's had and the one that she's living with, he's not even, you know, her husband. Um, uh, I I believe that he's saying, look, you've been trying to put like a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. Right, like you, you've been, you've been, you've been fishing in the wrong place. You've been looking for love in all the wrong places. What you have been looking for, and I don't care how we've been looking for it, because some of us look for it in work, some of us look for it at school, some of us look for it in pornography, some of us look for it in gambling, some of us look for it in all the places we look for it. Don't necessarily look bad, right? Some of them make us look really good. But if we are trying to get satisfied, if we're trying to draw satisfaction from anything other than God, we are an empty vessel. And the only thing that fills the vessel that we are is God and God alone. And so we may find things that pacify us, but those things will never satisfy us. And pacifiers are for temporary relief. They only last for a little while. They only last for a little while. I can tell you the worst stories in my life where I thought drugs were the answer, and they only lasted, you know, you always need the next one because everything wears off. And I can tell you that going to school and getting degree after degree after degree after degree and chasing success and, you know, the next thing and the next accolade and the next achievement, all of it was empty. All of it only pacifies for a moment. I, I, I always think about my children, how on Christmas morning, I realized this way too late, unfortunately. Way, it, was, it had already cost me way too much money. But every year what happens is my children make lists, long lists. And I do everything I can to fill the list. Every, I have four of them. And every year we're filling the list and they get every single thing they want. I know, that's bad parenting. That's what happens when you grow up poor. Again, still trying to fill a space, right? But I watched them open everything that they wanted on December 25th. They're so anxious they open it on December 24th, to be honest. Bad parenting, I know. (laughs) On December 26th, there's a new list. Because that doesn't satisfy Xbox, PlayStation, new iPhone, designer bag, new dance classes, a trip. It doesn't satisfy. It pacifies. If they don't know Jesus, they're never going to be really happy. That's 
They're never going to be totally fulfilled. Um, okay, so, so we are all looking for this temporary thing to pacify us, and we better figure out what that is. And I just want you to know, tell yourself, it's not working. It's not working. It's not working. People who, that's why we see people who are millionaires kill themselves. And we go, how did they do that? They could have had anything. They could have bought anything, gone anywhere. They had friends. They had attention. It right. It pacifies. It doesn't satisfy. Ask anyone who's deep, who's, who's seriously successful, how happy they are. And, and more important than being happy, ask them if they know what joy is. Right? Ask them if they know, because joy doesn't depend on your circumstances. Happiness does. Joy, you just put it on. Joy is a choice. And joy is something that only Jesus can give you. So if you don't have Jesus, you don't have joy. You might have happiness. And you can keep chasing that, but you will keep being empty. So she has been used to quenching her thirst and nothing has satisfied her because nothing is enough. Nothing satisfies. Nothing will, will, will really work. It will all keep us quiet for a little while. It will make us smile for a little bit. It will make us get a good night's sleep every once in a while. It will have us puffed up and prideful perhaps, but it doesn't last. Transformation begins when we begin to know that we need Jesus. That's the beginning. Um, and, and, and then she goes on to talk to Jesus, and he tells her about herself. Now, let me just tell you that first he tells her who he is. If only you knew who I am, right? But then he goes on to say, no, 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 I, you know me, but let me tell you, I know you. And that's really the turning point in their relationship is when the truth is not just who God is. Because a lot of us are walking around and we can talk about who God is all day long and we still don't know who we are. It, the truth that God shares with us, if we have a good prayer life and if we can pause in prayer for some meditation, right? If we believe that prayer is talking and meditation is listening, if you could just be quiet for a minute. and just listen to the voice of God, then God will tell you about yourself. Right? I tell people all the time, you can wake me up in the middle of the night and I can tell you what God is working on in me. Because I have a good discipline of prayer and meditation. And I can always tell you what God is working on. I can tell you what things in my life I can't rationalize, I can't justify, I do them, I know they don't please the Lord. I can't even pretend, right? There are things about me that don't please God, and I've given him space in my life to tell me the truth about myself. So if you tell me about me, guess what? It's probably not a surprise. I already know I don't have a lot of patience. I already know I curse once in a while. I, I already know that I can be unforgiving at times. I, and I can even tell you where all this stuff comes from. I've done that much work because God has made me look at me. He says to her, I know you. I see you and I know you and here's the beauty and I'm still standing here with you. That's what I needed. That's what I needed. 
That is what I need all the time. I need for God to see me and know me. And I need to know he didn't run away. He didn't abandon me. He didn't leave me. He didn't get sick of me. He's not tired of me. And I don't have to be ashamed of myself or embarrassed about anything that I go through. Because anything I go through, I go through with him. And anything I go through, even if it's my mess up, he is walking me through it. And he's being honest with me. And he's making me look at myself. I'm a person who's divorced. Do you know how hard it is to be a Christian who's divorced, who's a pastor? I am like 0.04%. I am a unicorn. (laughs) The shame that I felt, she's my girl. She is my girl because I had to keep reading this. And you know what my prayer was? When my husband left, it was God helped me to be better and not bitter. Help me to stop looking at him and help me to look at myself. Show me myself. I don't need to be angry. I don't need to be bitter. I don't need to be frustrated. That's not going to be good for my children. Help me to forgive and help me to look at me because I am the only person that you and I have the power to change. So this transformation happens when he lets her know about himself, he lets her know about herself, and then he he tells her the truth and she doesn't get upset. Some of us get so upset when someone tells us the truth about ourselves, you should stop that. You should welcome the truth. Good friends will tell you the truth about yourself. People who love you will not co-sign your nonsense. They will be brutally honest with you and they will hurt you. If you don't have a friend who hurt your feelings in, in your relationship, that's not your friend. That's your hangout partner, but that's not your friend. Your friend will hurt your feelings. And if you have any sense, you'll learn to welcome that in your life. So when he tells her about herself, right, it calms her. And it builds her confidence about who he is. It makes him more credible to her so that she's able to see herself. So I hope you can see your arrogance, your pride, your selfishness, your greed, your slothfulness, your bad habits. I hope that you can see that in spite of those things, Jesus still loves you. Jesus still values you. Jesus still thinks that you are beautiful. Jesus still sees every good and unique thing that he has ever created in you. Jesus still believes that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and Jesus is not sorry. You are not an accident nor a mistake, and you have not messed up so bad that he does not want to meet with you. I have a list here of all the things I do wrong, but I'm going to skip those right now. <laughs> I talk too much about me sometimes. So, um, so, so she had to tell, so, so, so let, let me just say, the, the, the other piece of this, right, is that then um, I love when, it, when he tells her, woman, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, right? He, he, he challenges her religion, and he says none of that is going to matter. What you've been told, what we've been told, how you all have worshipped, how we have worshipped, none of that matters, right? 
Pastor Peter has done an extremely daring thing here. He's challenged us to look at our cultural norms, our belief systems, our previous religious institutional forming and shaping, right? To say, is it biblical? Because what's biblical is love thy neighbor. That, that's what's biblical. And who is my neighbor? Right? So, so we have to challenge ourselves because Jesus says that the day is coming when none of that will matter. Yet a time is coming and has come now. What? This present future thing? If it's coming, how is it here? When we baptize, we say that baptism is a past, present, and future phenomenon. We are remembering the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we immerse you in water and bring you up, we acknowledge that in the present, your sins are washed and you are given a new life in Christ. And we also say that we trust that one day we will all die in this flesh, and we will be buried, and we believe that we will be resurrected with him. There's a past, present, and future thing that can happen all at the same time. Because Christ is right now, and he is forevermore. He is here with us, and he's coming back again. And both those things are true. Both of those things are true. And so the other thing that happens when transformation happens is that we begin to think differently about the things that we have thought before. And we begin to understand spiritual truths like we have never understood before. Then she says, then, then Jesus goes on to say, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit, and in truth. This woman still doesn't quite know him because coming to know Christ, transformation is a process. And I come from a church where, you know, where people like touch you and you fall out and your whole life changes in one minute. That's what they expect. But the reason I couldn't stay there as a young person is because I needed people to walk with me through transformation. I needed counseling, I needed help, I needed encouragement, I needed space to mess up and to be redirected. I needed to fall down and have somebody pick me back up again. Right, so she still doesn't totally get it. And you wanna know what? Neither do I. Neither, I don't totally get it. There are things in the Bible I cannot explain to you. There are things people ask me, I go, I don't know. And I'm okay saying, I don't know. I don't know which theory is right. I don't know which. I love that you all read the creed because that's the non-negotiable stuff we all have to believe. The other stuff, eh, that's what I must know. That is what I must know and believe. That's what we must agree about. That's what makes us the church. The other theory, theology, we can argue. I don't believe the Bible is to be argued. I believe it's to be lived. 
So anyway, there's, there's this part of transformation, right? So then the woman says, I know the Messiah is coming. When will he come? Um, he will explain everything to us, right? Like, like I kind of hear you. I think that you're somebody doing something here. This is powerful and crazy, but I'm still waiting on somebody to come. So okay, so are Jewish people. Um, he's right here. Like he's with her. And let me just say that sometimes God is with us. And we don't even recognize that he's in it. Like he's with you in something. Whatever you're going through right now, God is in that. You're not waiting for God to come. You're not waiting for God to show up. He's with you. Stop behaving like this is not him. It's him. He's in that. Um, he says, uh, Jesus declares, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Now, let me just tell you that what, what happens after this quickly, right, is that, um, is that the woman drops her pot and she goes, into, she goes and starts knocking on doors and telling everybody that who he is. She believes him now. After this, she's fully converted. And not only fully converted, but this woman who showed up empty leaves overflowing. This woman who shows up with nothing, Desperate, thank God for the gift of desperation. That's how I met him. I desperately needed to know Christ. I desperately needed to have him enter my heart. I desperately needed him to change my life. I desperately needed more than everything else I was trying to fill that space with, my soul. And I had tried everything. I desperately needed God. And since I have known him, I am full. And I don't want to do anything but tell somebody about how good he is. I don't want to do anything but tell people that God is present and God loves you and God has not left you and he has not forsaken you and he hasn't missed, missed you, meaning he, he, he hasn't not seen you. One of the things I love about Jesus is that everywhere in the Bible, whenever he does any, oh, I did what I do, sorry. Um, he's always um, seeing people, and, and he sees you. He sees where you are. He sees your tears. He sees your emptiness. He sees your fears. He sees the things you're worried about. He sees you, and he wants you to know that he loves you. He loves you. I'm not talking about that Sunday school kind of thing, that we just say it and we hope somebody else can go and repeat it. I'm talking about a love like no other. No one loves me like God loves me. My brother loves me probably more than anybody on the earth. I would say my brother and my sister love me more than anything and anybody. It doesn't compare to how much God loves me. He will disappoint me, we will fight, we'll argue, we'll fall out, I'll miss him for a little while. Never, never with God. It is perfect love, transcends human love. And I will build my life telling somebody about the love of Jesus and how good God is. 
because I've had this experience with him that this woman has had. He met me at the well, at an empty place, and he spoke into my life, and he let me know that he loved me, and that he was there, and that he knew me, and he fully acknowledged me. And then he told me that there are promises that are for me. And that those promises are eternal. And they have, knowing him has eternal consequences. And so I just want to tell somebody else. I want to tell someone else that God loves them. I hope you all know that God loves you. If I would pray that you all would have anything today, I would hope that you all would spend time with Jesus. Commune with him. And I would hope that you would tell someone else about the goodness of God. Go tell somebody about how much he loves you and how much he loves them. I dare you to share your testimony with somebody. Not the pretty stuff. The five husbands and the other one the way that Jesus found you and the way that Jesus has changed you. Jesus loves you. I would love to pray for you this morning, so if you would just bow your heads with me right now. Father God, in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you for an opportunity to come into your house and to share your word with your beloved people. God, I pray blessings over this church the leadership of this church in particular, the headship of this church and Pastor Peter. I pray, God, that you bless them in a way that they would overflow. I pray, God, that they are never just trying to fill empty vessels, but that instead, God, that they are always meeting with you and doing what is important to you. Bless each person who's here today, Lord. Meet them in their pain, in their suffering, and in their need. God, meet them in those places where they are trying to fill their lives with other things and remind them that you will fill their cup till it overflows. Like you did with the fishermen whose nets were bursting, like you did with the fish and the loaves that were overflowing, God, you can meet them and give them more than what they could ever imagine. Bless your people. Protect your people. Be a lamp unto their feet. Lead them and guide them. And I pray, God, that you would transform them so that they could go into the world and be ambassadors and tell other people about your goodness, your grace, your love, and your mercy. I pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Bless you, church.